Let's turn in your Bibles, please, to Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13. We have been talking about the parables that Jesus taught trying to make the people of that day aware of what was coming. The kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God. And he said, it's at hand. In other words, it's pretty close. And it turned out that the church was formed just 50 days later at Pentecost by the sermon that Peter preached. So it was close. And he was trying to tell them what it's going to be like so they would know how to live in this new situation called the church. They'd never heard of a church up until then. They, they, all they had was idol worship and the Jews with their temples and the Samaritans with their temples on the mountain. And so Jesus is coming talking about a church that's going to be entirely new. And he wanted to show them some things about it. And he chose, and we went over that to start with, that he would teach them in parables because some of them were supposed to understand and some of them would not understand. And so, here we are today in Matthew chapter 13 and verse 24. And Jesus said, Another parable put he forth unto them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is likened unto a man which sowed good seed in his field. Now, everybody in that day knew about planting seeds because they all raised their own, What most of them raised what they ate themselves, some kind of way, one way or another. So they understood about how seed worked. But while men slept, the man's enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. What he's saying, Jesus is saying here, that a, the guy who sowed the good seed, his enemy came while people slept, sneaked up on him and planted weeds in his field of wheat. But when the blade was sprung up and brought forth fruit, then appeared the tares also. Now folks in here, many of you have garden, you know what I'm talking about. When weeds are really, really small, sometimes it's hard to tell pony foot from clover until it gets a little size on it you can't tell. And what he's saying here, Jesus knew how to talk like a farmer because he knew everything. And what he said was, but when the blade sprung up or headed out, y'all know that terminology, when, when the plants in the garden headed out, they could tell that some of them wasn't what he sowed. Then appeared the tares also. So the servants of the householder came and said unto him, Sir, didst not thy so good seed in thy field? From whence come these tares? Where are these tares coming from? He said unto them, An enemy has done this. The servant said unto him, Will thou then that we go and gather them up? He said unto them, No, but he said, Nay, that's why we gather up the tares ye root up also the wheat with them. 
In other words, no, don't go try to get the weeds out right now because your life will tear some of the wheat up trying to get the tares out, the weeds out. Let both grow together until the harvest. And in the time of harvest, I will say to the reapers, Gather ye together first the tares, and bind them in bundles to burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn. Now see, he's giving them a story about what living as a Christian will be like. And this is the way he described it. That's what Jesus told the crowd. Then it says in verse 36, Then Jesus sent the multitude away and went into the house. And his disciples came unto him, saying, Declare unto us the parable of the tares of the field. Now he did not go back and explain all these parables. He did the sores and some of the others, the talents. He went to a great deal of trouble. He did this one too. Went to a great deal of trouble to sit down with those who were closest to him, not the whole crowd. He depended on them to get it because he had given them an ear, a spiritual ear, to hear and understand what he was saying. But you see, the disciples didn't understand what he preached either. And so rather than embarrass themselves by being his close crowd that stayed around him all the time, and we didn't understand. They waited till he got off to himself. And they called him out and said, Look, explain this to us. What does that mean? So he answered and said unto them, He that soweth the good seed is the Son of Man. So the man that he's got in his parable that sowed the seed is Jesus. Jesus came and he sowed the seed. The field is the world. Jesus sowed the seed in the world. The good seed are the children of the kingdom, but the tares are the children of the wicked one. What he said was, Jesus sowed the good seed. And now we look out at the, out at the field and we see that not only the good seed are out there, that it was sowed purposefully, by, by, by the man that owned the land, by, by Jesus, in the analogy. There's some weeds out there. And his, the way he explains it, the weeds are the unsaved. The weeds are the children of Satan. So what we've got here, he said the enemy that sowed them is the devil in verse 39. The harvest is the end of the world, and the reapers are the angels. Now what he's saying here is, this is a picture of the church. Now we're not talking about a local church. We're not talking about a church like this. We're talking about every single person in the world who understands and believes the gospel of Jesus Christ. Those that are called the children of God. That's who he's talking about. But among those who profess to be children of God, who come to church, who do religious things, who talk about religious things around other people when they're socializing, there are also, Jesus said, the sons of the devil. They belong to the devil. 
They are professed Christians in the church. So the question is, what do we do knowing that there are people in the church who are not Christians, who are actually children of Satan? He said, we let them alone. No, don't pull them up. Don't pull them up. Don't get into a fight because they disagree with somebody. Don't split the churches up. Don't cause trouble among people because you'll see that people don't think like you do because we don't think alike in everything. But there'll be some who you'll notice are seem to be opposed to everything. Now, you can't know another man's heart. And that was what Jesus was saying. And I can't know another person's heart. There's no way I can now, if I can be around him enough, I can hear enough of what he's saying because it says in another place that out of our heart comes the excess of our, out of our mouth comes the excess of our heart. So when we just have to say something, what Jesus says, listen to people. You'll find out that what's in their heart might not be what they're professing. And we'll look at that a little bit later. But he says, notice who they are. Because we're in the church. There are people in the church who are children of Satan. And they're saying, but we're in the church too. So, we'll see later what it says we're supposed to do. It says in Philippians, and I'll turn there, just listen, if you will, please. Uh, it says in Philippians chapter 3 and verse 17. Brethren, Paul says to the church at Philippi, be followers together of me and mark them which walk so as ye have us for an example. So Paul says, Christians, you guys, mark them, take note of people who appear to have a different agenda from what you have. Our agenda is Jesus. And Jesus keeps making us more and more and more like him. But there are some that if they don't have Jesus... They can make their own minds up about what they're going to say or do or how they're going to feel about a particular matter. So he says just mark them. Just take note of them who they are so that you're careful not to listen to them because they might lead you astray. And mark them which walk as so as ye have us for an example. He says me, Paul, and the people with me are supposed to be an example to you guys, a pattern the word in the original Greek, a pattern. So y'all need to watch what we do and try to be like us because we're trying to be like Jesus. So if you walk like us, then you'll be walking like Jesus. For many walk, verse 18, of whom I have told you often and now tell you even weeping that they're the enemies of the cross of Christ. And they're in the church whose end is destruction, 
whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame, who mind earthly things. You remember what James said, to be a good friend of the world is to be an enemy of God. So one of the signs of people who might not be obedient to Jesus is that they're very, very friendly with the world. They like a lot of things that go on down here. You know, when you talk with them, they're not talking about heavenly things or, or things that Jesus wants us to do as children, but they're talking about things that are in the everyday world. So you mark them. You listen to them. But you don't do anything about it. You don't physically make a fuss about it. Because Jesus says, if you do, you'll tear the church up too. And you might hurt some of them in such a way as they might lose their steadfastness, it says in another place. But their God is their belly. They do what they want to do. They do what they feel good. It's like, he used the example, they eat what they want to eat. And so uh, they do what they want to do. That's the, 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 the meaning of that expression. Their God, who they're going to be obedient to, is whatever they want to do. And whose glory is in their shame, who mind earthly things. That's another characteristic of them. Not part of the, the whose, whose, whose God is their belly, but another part of them is they are hooked to the world. They love the world. So we go back then to Matthew chapter 13. God says don't do anything. Take notice of who's obedient. But teach. When they say something that you think is out of place, show them differently. Gently and meekly. Don't stir up anything. Just say, well, you know, God wants us to do this or Jesus taught us to do this, or the Bible says to do this, you can always put that little thing in there. And pray that God will teach them. That's what it tells us to do in Timothy. You pray, you handle them gently, and pray that God will get them out of the trap, that the Holy Spirit will get them out of the trap that Satan has got them in. And we do it very gently and very meekly and very humbly. We don't stir up any trouble. We pray, and I got in trouble with this one time, we pray that God will teach them to be like he wants them to be, obedient. Or we'll pray that God will move them. Get them out from our, our midst, if you will. I had a deacon. I admitted, I told him what I was doing. I, he, there was a guy in church, a lady in church too, that was causing all kind of problems. And I mean, it was just a, fight, a constant fight. And I said, he said, well, what, what do you think we need to do? They finally wound up going to one of them and asking them to get out of the church. But I told him, I said, well, I'm just praying that God will move them. It's obvious that they, they're not supposed to be here. They, they're not in in. In, 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 what's the word? Compliance with everybody else. We don't have union with them. They want to do different things. So I'm just praying that God will move them. He went to the preacher and told them that I was praying that folks, God would run folks out of our church. And that's not the intent of what I said anyhow. But that is the thing we do. 
we pray, we don't stir up anything, but we pray that if God decides they're not supposed to be, then he can move them. Because in the church, their influence is hard sometimes to avoid. We're supposed to have everybody believing alike and being in union with one another, so we don't want bad influence keeping us split apart. In Acts chapter 20, in verse 29, Paul says, For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Paul told the Christians, as soon as I leave this town and I get away from here, there's going to be wolves that come in among the sheep and try to destroy the flock. Also, of your own selves shall men arise. They won't be coming from Satan. They'll be coming from us. Speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them. The only thing I can get out of that is there are people who want attention. That was Satan's problem. That's what got him kicked out of heaven. He said, I will be like the Most High God. I will do what I want to do, regardless of what God says, because he pulled together one-third of the angels to follow him. And they got kicked out of heaven with him also. So apparently, according to that scripture, there's some that might want attention, might be the reason for them doing it, is to, is to gather attention. So then the question comes to us. Okay, I'm in church. I'm trying to do what God wants me to do. I'm trying to be obedient. I'm trying to fit in with everybody. I'm trying not to cause any trouble. How do I respond to the Word of God in such a way that I don't mistakenly be taken for some of them or one of them? In 2 Corinthians, you might want to turn there in chapter 5. Second Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17. There's an explanation here and along with it an instruction. It says in chapter 5 and verse 17 of, of 2 Corinthians, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Now, what does that mean? It simply means that you change your ways. And if somebody's been knowing you a long time, they can see the change. And they can say, well, something's happening to him. It must be Jesus. So God gets the glory for that, you see. I know him. I've been knowing him 15, 20 years, 30 years, 40 years, whatever. And he never acted like he's acting now. So it must be God. 
or it must be Jesus, must be the Holy Spirit. Either one of them are working with him to cause him not to be, or her, not to be like they were. I told somebody when they was wondering why so many of the evangelicals would vote for some of the people in government. I said, well, I don't know about other places so much, but I know about Alabama. Alabama people think that if Jesus comes into your heart, you're fixing to change. They believe that. So they might believe somebody who shows them a little bit of change, and they say to themselves, well, Jesus must be responsible for that, so we'll vote for him. I said, that's the way they think. Because they believe that when you become a Christian, you change. That's what he says right here. And you do. Because you can't be that old man anymore. God won't let you do it. He won't give you the heart that will let you do it. So it says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. You're not acting like you used to. Your behavior is different. Behold, all things have become new. Well, as the cleaning up process, the sanctification of the believer, more and more things become new. Now, you're going to still do some of the things. I baptized some people at 72 that have just been saved, and they probably didn't live long enough to completely change 100%. They just didn't. Their ways had been such all this time, and I know with me, I can't speak for you, but I know with me, it took time for God to clean me up. And it normally does for all of us because we're not absolutely 100% obedient. And when he tries to make us a way and we don't agree with him and try to fight him about it, then he puts us in a jam and chastises us and we learn we better do what he says or we'll be in more trouble like this. And after two or three times like that, you get a pretty good idea of what's going to happen if you don't. But now here's another description in verse 18. And now all things are of God. And now all things are of God. That is the difference in the old creature and the new creature. You've heard them say it. Well, I tell you what, since he walked the aisle, all you can hear out of him is Jesus, Jesus. All he talks about is God and Jesus and the Bible and the church and everything. That's all he ever talks about. I've heard that commented about folks. And some folks don't like it. But I think you'd have to agree that we'd have to agree that it's a good thing. That that's what he's got on his mind. Turn to Ephesians. Chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 21. Ephesians 4, 21. If so be that ye have heard him or, and Jesus and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus. So what is saying here? If you have heard the gospel of Jesus Christ and you believe it. That's who he's talking about. As the truth is in Jesus, you're convinced that what he said is true. That ye put off concerning the former 
conduct or conversation, the old man, you put off the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust. You're acting in the flesh. You're doing what you feel good, what tastes good, what feels good, whatever. That's what you do. So you put that off. and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And I've got written in my Bible right after that verse, every day. Every day. We've got to do it every day, folks. You will not wake up thinking that way unless you are in the habit of telling yourself first thing every morning, this is the day that the Lord hath made, and I will rejoice and be glad in it. Now, if you don't do that, pretty soon Satan and some of his demons, probably his demons, because I don't think I'm important enough for Satan to stop what he's doing. He can't be but in one place at one time. Satan can't. The demons can't either, but there's thousands of them. They're everywhere. And one of them might get an idea, well, if you hit him early enough in the morning, you can just mess his day all up. He won't act like a Christian all day long. And they'll do that. So we have to renew our mind. Get our minds locked on Jesus first thing in the morning before we even make a cup of coffee. Say, Lord, this is your day and I'm going to try my best today to live like you want me to live. And that ye put on the new man which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. That's where God, that's what God has as his goal for me and you. That when we, once we're saved, that we put on holiness. Wherefore, putting away lying, speaking every man the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be ye angry and sin not. So it's okay to be, be mad and not sin. You can do that. if you don't let the sun go down on your wrath. Don't get mad and enjoy it. <laughs> you ever been mad at somebody and you want to be mad all day long? I'm going to be mad at him for, for as long as I live. That's, what not, that's, that's not what Jesus says. He said you can be mad because things are going to make you angry. But don't let the sun go down on your wrath. Don't be mad when it comes time to go to bed. As a little child, I was told, you always say your prayers when you go to bed and you ask forgiveness for everything you've done that day. And it helps you not to wake up the next morning with today, yesterday's problem still on your shoulder. So God didn't create man with a big enough shoulder to carry yesterday's problems and today's problems and a lot of us worry about tomorrow and next week and next month. And so our shoulders get bowed over because they got so much on them because we put it there. Neither give place to the devil. That's the way you give place to the devil. What does that mean? That means pull up a chair. Yeah, you know, yeah. Let me get you a chair. I want you to sit down right here. That's what you do when one of your friends comes to see you. Are you gonna get a chair for Satan? And let him sit there with you and get up and hold the door for him so we can get in the car with you and leave with you, go with you all day. Say, so don't do that. Don't do that. Try to lead your life in such a way. 
that you say no enough to Satan that he'll get on away from you, leave you alone, and try to deal with somebody that'll go along with it. And it, James, the brother of Jesus, said that's the way to do it. Just say no. You become a new person, a new creature every day. Every day. You don't really, you're a lot like you were yesterday, but you put it on. You try to be that. That's your goal is to try to be like Jesus wants you to be. But let me tell you something. There's four little words here. Two of them are the same. That Jesus says we're supposed to do. We have a part in God making us through Jesus and the Holy Spirit that's in us like Jesus. We have a part in that. And it says in verse 22 that you put off concerning your behavior the old man. (laughs) You got to quit being like he was. You know what's wrong. You know what it is you do. Quit being that way. And after you renewed in the spirit, verse 24, and you put on the new man. Start acting like you know God wants you to act. You got a part in this. And if you choose not to act like God wants you to act, you won't. That, when we get down to all of this studying about the man's will, That is the only will a man has. As an unsaved man, he's a slave to Satan. Satan can take charge of him and make him do anything he wants him to do. He really can, whether you believe it or not. And then when he becomes saved, he's a slave to Jesus Christ. So really and truly, the only will of man that we have is the choice between acting like the old man, or acting like the new man. What are we going to do? Because if you act like the old man, and you are a new man, you're going to be one of the ones that they mark. <laughs> note that fellow. Take notice of that fellow, because you're not acting like a Christian. Do I know whether you're saved or not? No. I'll be honest with you, there's no way I can tell. No way I can tell. But there's some things when you just get enough evidence, you can just pretty much take for granted but I've had something to fool me bad. I really have. So I've quit trying. I don't do that. I leave that up to God. Amen. And he, he knows the heart, and I can't know your heart. All I know is what you say and what you do, and that's not enough. We can be fooled. There are some people who, for business sake or for whatever sake or to please their grandma or whatever, they're trying to act like a Christian. And really and truly in their heart, they're not. Sometimes maybe some things like that come out. But see, there's another thing that, 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 that gets in my way of trying to reason that kind of stuff out. I've become to the place to where I firmly believe that a carnal Christian, one of them is not living obediently, can probably be just as bad as any sinner that ever lived. Be a pagan and a heathen, live like it, and do the same things they do. So what I'm trying to say is this is not a lesson on how to pick out who's a Christian and who's not because you can't do it. But I tell you what, you can mark those that cause problems. You can do that. 
because God's will for his church is that we're all alike, that we all agree, that we all get along with each other. He says that plainly in the 17th chapter of John. In his last prayer before he goes to the cross, back to his Father. Father, I pray that they would be one even as you and I are one. And he and the Father, the reason God gave Jesus all authority on this earth was because he never disobeyed, not one time. Now we can't do that because we've got the old sin nature. We were born with it. Jesus wasn't born with that nature. Jesus did not, I believe it's because Jesus did not have a heavenly father. So I think then that the old sin nature that comes to new babies have, comes down through the fathers. Because he had an earthly mother, Mary, but he didn't have an earthly father. So I'm quite sure that we get our old sin nature. When we're born, David said we sin from the womb, lying. We can't talk and we still lie. We cry when there's nothing wrong with us. I've been in that problem too. But God intends for us to live like he wants us to live. And by being that, we can be somebody who somebody else will look at it and maybe decide, I think maybe I need to look further into this thing about Jesus Christ being my Savior. And if we can and it works, God gets the glory from that. Praise be to God. Let's pray. Father, I thank you this morning for again telling us another story of what it's going to be like when the church gets on earth and how it works and what do we need to watch out for and how we need to act that we can bring glory to your name and to Jesus Christ's name also. Teach us to use this Holy Spirit that's in us, to talk to the Holy Spirit that's in us, to ask him what I need to do, how do I need to handle this? Because Jesus said, when you get in a jam, the Holy Spirit will put the words in your mouth to say. So let's let the Holy Spirit be in charge of our mouth that we don't get ourselves in trouble. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.